Sirius XM Sports Podcast presents Mad Dog's Daily Bite with Christopher Russo. And good afternoon, everybody! Uh, I'll give it to Paul. I hate sounding self-serving, but let's just say that Justin Verlander is not about ready to get to a headset. Chris, nice to be on. So here we have it. As he talked to you about a couple of message, a couple of moments in my life, radio-wise. Number one, Jacksonville, Florida, February of 83. I went to Jacksonville because I had a job. I got a job offer from the Jacksonville Suns AA baseball team. I got that offer when I went to the winter meetings in Hawaii in December of 82 to get a job as a play-by-play guy. Remember, I wanted to be Vince Scully. So I go to Jacksonville and I get a sales job with the Suns. A Yankee, young kid, AMC gremlin in a North Florida city with a South, South Georgia personality. That's a tough assignment for any 23-year-old. I don't know anything about selling baseball advertising. But to make a long story short, after a couple of weeks, they said, listen, they brought me into the office and I wanted to be their play-by-play guy. The idea was to be sell and then get the job as the announcer and do 140 games. And Steve Johnson ended up getting a job of that. But regardless, after a couple of weeks, they brought me into the office. Bobby Bragan Jr., whose father managed the Braves in the late 50s, and Lou Eliopoulos, who at the time was their owner. And they said, Chris, you know, or whatever they called me at that time, Mr. Russo, this is not working. You haven't gotten, you know, you haven't sold anything yet. You're wasting your time. You have no play-by-play experience. Today is going to be your last day. This is probably middle of late February of 83. I had just gotten there two weeks. So I couldn't believe it. This was in the morning. I went out there that day and I went to some of the places where I had already had been knocking on doors, trying to sell season tickets and outdoor billboard advertising and, you know, radio, you name it, radio commercials. And I knocked, I knocked on the door of a, insurance, no, it was a lawyer's office, lawyers. I had been there two or three times. He bought four season tickets for 500 bucks. I came back at the end of the day. I put the sales order on the sheet. I said, hey, I guess I can stay now, huh? That's not number one. Four weeks later, they fired me anyway. I sold $1,150 worth of advertising for that franchise. And I'll tell you right now, that was not that easy. Not that easy. Fortunately, I had knocked on a door at a small radio station in the process of bouncing around Jackson. We're trying to sell Suns stuff. And the radio station knew that I was sort of an up-and-coming sales guy. Who's this guy? He's got a little personality. He's bouncing around Jacksonville. He's a Yankee. All right, we'll give him a chance. That was just March. It was just uh, middle of March of 83. After they fired me on that Friday afternoon... Then Suns, I went to go see Tootsie for about the 10th times. I love Jessica Lange, but that's neither here nor there. Got to the radio station, and the first day I signed up on Monday, the day after St. Patty's weekend, the sports guy left. So before the Larry Kahn infamous call, who saved me, you heard Larry yesterday, that's number one. Number two, about eight months later, I had left WEXI because they were dawn to dusk radio station. And at dawn of dusk radio station, they went off the air at 5 o'clock. You know, they went off when the sun went down. And I was doing a lot of sports and weekend sports talk. But once we got to daylight, once we got to November, there was no, I was dead. I couldn't work at night. 
So there was no show. So I realized I had, I had to get out of there. I walked into a station at WOKV, Talk Radio 60. This is where I met Wenzel. There's a guy there who did the Jacksonville University basketball games and did some sports talk, and he had heard me on the air. His name was Jay Solomon. And he wanted some help when he did the JU games on the road. He needed somebody to host his sports talk show at night. So he, let's say he played at Old Dominion. They would go up the day before, come back the following day. So he needed somebody on the air to fill in the fact that, you know, he wasn't on the air. So that was me. Same deal, though. I had a sell. That Christmas, he took me to a Denny's in Jacksonville. I was 24. My parents didn't know what was going on here, but took me to a Denny's. And he said, my parents had helped me with some finances, which they had to. Because you're not going to make it. So I go, I go to Denny's and he says, Chris, listen. I can't pay. He was paying me like an upfront stipend, whatever it was, $300 a week. I don't know what it was, but he was paying. I was making $120 a week at WAXI. But he takes me, he takes me with Denny. He says, listen, you're going home for Christmas. Do yourself a favor. You can't come back. I can't pay you. There's no future here. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a one-man shop. I, I just, I, I can't afford you anymore. And you're not, making, you're not bringing enough money in for me to continually pay you to do air work and everything else. So I got to let you, I, I got to let you go. So I came home for Christmas, December of 83. And I didn't tell my parents. I was 24. But what was I going to do? Go work at the Amoco gas station where I had done overnights with the self-serve pump. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go sell jewelry with Tony. So what was I going to do? So... Without telling my parents, I went back to Jacksonville. I think Jay was shocked to see me return. But in that next month, that's when Larry Kahn called. But in the process of Jacksonville, I would told, Jay would ask me, well, who are you seeing? And I bring any business in. Who are you seeing? And I bring up, I brought up Irv Metter and Metal Auto Parts. And Jay said, what are you seeing him? He's not going to buy any advertising. You're wasting your time. So after I got the audition and subsequently the job at WKIS in Orlando, which you heard a couple guys on yesterday, believe it or not, I went back to Jacksonville and I went into Metal Auto Parts. This is a swear to God, a true story. And I no longer needed anything from Jacksonville because I had a job in Orlando and they were going to pay me to be on the air. Irv Metter bought an advertising schedule for 500 bucks. I brought it back to Jay. He says, Jay, you know what? You did a great job for me. Thanks very much. I was nice about it. But as I'm out the door here, you got some advertising from Metter. I got to go. Those are your two things in Jacksonville. Larry Kahn was a savior. You heard Jim Phillips yesterday. If you listen to this and all those guys, and I'll tell you, WKIS was a big station. They made me you know, they made me the uh, drive time. I was, did six to eight at night. I mean, I did afternoon drive sports. It was a great opportunity. But they had a change of ownership. Not ownership, GMs. My old GM who loved me left, got fired. They brought in another guy who did not like sports talk. Thought we were wasting our time, even though the Orlando Magic came and put me to weekends. So for three years, I'm doing weekend sports talk all sorts of crazy times. You think it's hard to get calls here on the weekends, and I'll find that out Saturday afternoon, 5 o'clock. 
Imagine how difficult it is when you're doing sports talk on week, uh, weeknights in Orlando, and then two or three years later, it was three years later, they stay, well, it was two and a half years later, they stick you on um, overnight, or they stick you on weekends. Well, one day you're on at Saturday at 3, the next day you're on at 5.30. It was a disaster. Nobody, but nobody, it was brutal. I went from being a big fish in a little pond to a situation where I was, I was desperate. They paid me, but I was desperate. Almost as desperate as I was in Jacksonville. A little different because I was making a little money. But still, well, that's where Rick Scalar comes in. Rick Scalar was the guy who put the Beatles at Shea in 65 and put Cosell on a year. So Scalar, there was an ad in Broadcasting Magazine. This is in 87, winner. There was an ad in Broadcasting, 86, 87. There was an ad in the magazine. If you talk like a New York sports guy, and you think you know all the New York sports teams, send tape and resume. I thought nothing of it because who the hell am I going to get a job in New York? Tape sat there for three, three a week in my Honda Civic. Matter of fact, John Cooper was on that tape. John Cooper was the coach at Ohio State. No, he, at the time he was at Arizona State. He went to Ohio State, but at the time he was the coach at Arizona State, who I must have had on in the process of doing all that sports talk in Orlando, and I used that as sort of an audition tape. Anyway, I sent the tape to MCA. I thought nothing of it. Two weeks later, they call me. Blue, clue, blue sky. Chris, we're interested. Can you come up here for a few days to audition? Wow. I couldn't believe it. So I fly to, uh, fly to New York. They paid for everything. They paid for everything. They put me up at the Omni Hotel, 57th and, and 7th Avenue. And I did, I don't know, two or three shows, some updates in the, in the afternoon. Didn't say a word. I left. This was in February of 87. I left back to Orlando to the weekend wasteland of sports talk in that small town. St. Patty's weekend, almost to the same day that the Jacksonville thing happened, I get a call, I get a call from Scalar, who later died, by the way, when he went into a hospital in New York. He was a marathon runner. He had a foot issue, and they put the oxygen thing down the wrong, wrong wind, windpipe, and he had a heart attack on the, on, 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 uh, on the medical bed. Imagine that. Probably about 65. Anyway, Scalar calls me up and says, uh, and I'll, first off, he's Rick Scalar calling you up, so you know it's good news. Two or three weeks after the, uh, uh, two or three weeks after you had, you know, gone up there for an audition. He says, listen, if we decide, you know, he, small talk, he's trying to feel me out. He says, well, if we decide that you're the guy, could you take, will you accept this job? And I said, well, you know, obviously it's New York. And we go on and go on. He says, well, would $54,000, would that be enough to get you here? I was making eighteen dollars at KIS. He said, well, we're also throwing some moving expenses. What? Absolutely. Packed up the AMC Gremlin, break of a lifetime. The last break I got when I got to MCA was about a year and a half later. First break was Raceman, who you also heard yesterday. But the other break that I got was about, I don't know, about a year later, I was doing MCA, 570 AM, used to be a huge powerhouse radio station. Those in New York know in the early 60s, like John Sterling did talk radio there, which I listened to as a kid, and, you know, Long John Nebel, and they had a lot of guys. They were a big station. They were no longer this when I got there, but they had senior better days, but they were at one point a heavyweight, heavyweight New York talk station in the 60s. 
They did a lot of music, too. Harry Harrison. Anyway, they were a big station. Not when I got there in 87. So I get there in 87, and I'm there for nine months, or about a year. And the owner, the GM, comes up to me. We have a meeting. And I thought I was doing well. I was on Saturdays and Sundays, 5 to 8. I was doing... Uh, sports talk. I was doing uh, updates in the morning. I did a lot of crazy things. I can tell you those stories if you want, but I think the best one is when McGuire hit the home run. No, when Gibson hit the home run to beat the Dodgers in game, to beat the A's in game one. Who did I have on that Monday morning? Dusty Rhodes, who hit the homer to beat the Indians in 54 in game one. Dusty Rhodes was driving tugboats in New York Harbor. How about that? That's pretty good. Anyway, the owner, the GM brings me to the office and says, Chris, we're, we're selling. Strauss Communications is being sold to a Christian outfit. You're out. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was 28. You're out. Uh, there's no more sports talk here. I can't. You're done. I had run into an agent, so I had a little help. But so he, you know, was in my corner, Robert Schaff. And Schaff got me into a situation where he, FAN had just started, about a year and a half in, and he had uh, some interest over at FAN. He says, you know, mind if you give this guy a tryout? So I went to FAN, and I did a lot of shows. You know, and MCA was good. They gave me a good review and everything else, but I didn't have a job. And that is where I was going back and forth to Philadelphia at WIP. Did you guys know that? That I was doing two shows in two markets at the same time, did I ever tell you that story? Because I went to IP and I would go down there for the week and then come up and do weekends at WFAN. Did I ever tell you that? And at the end of a certain period, Jay Snyder, then Ed's son, put me into his office and said, listen, I'm my agent. You tell me right now, we're going to give you 10 to 1. You tell me right now that you want to do it and we're going to make it work. And I passed because I thought there was an opportunity at FAN. That was a good decision. But anyway, I get to FAN. I do all these shows. I bounce it around IP. And then all of a sudden, Imus became a huge fan. The late Bernie McGurk got my tapes from MCA. Said, Don, you got to hear this guy. He's nuts. His name is Mad Dog. And Don started to play all those tapes. This is in January of 89. Next thing you know, Imus puts me on the air doing updates. Poor Stan Martin puts me on the up, uh, puts me on the air doing updates in the late winter and the spring of 1989. Pete Franklin has a contractual dispute. Pete came over from 3WE in Cleveland. His contract was up. He wanted a lot more money. F-A- he, Pete had not worked out well. Imus couldn't stand him. They had fights all the time. It just didn't work. Pete was not. He was from Brooklyn, but it just didn't work. And they let Pete go. Mark Mason, you heard him yesterday with a clip. Uh, calls me up one weekend day uh, in the summertime, or weekend, weekday day. Says, listen, we're going to give you, are you interested in doing an afternoon drive? We got an idea of you and Mike Francesa. And there you go. So you are talking about four decisions. And this is where God plays in the game. Jacksonville, those first two season tick, four season tickets that I sold bought me another month, which got me to WEXI. That extra four weeks got me to EXI. Okay? I'm at EXI, the sports guy quits. 
I go to WOKV with Jay Solomon. Jay Solomon says, you know what? Don't come home. Don't come back from, the, uh, from Christmas. I come back. Larry Kahn calls. Irv Metter teaches me a lesson. Be persistent. Sell the advertising. Stick it on Jay's desk. Go to WKIS uh, in Orlando. Up at WKIS in Orlando, I get blindsided, and I was shocked. I get blindsided. They said, Chris, we're not going to we'll take your show off the air. We're taking your show off the air. You can write, you can find stories about this. Brian Schmitz wrote an unbelievable column in the Orlando Sentinel, probably May of 86, that you should read because it, it stands to this day. It is so good. I owe him a lot. But writes the column, and for five, about eight months, I was in radio purgatory. And then MCA, Rick Scalar, and then I'm in radio purgatory again. Bernie, Imus, Morning Drive, Mark Mason, Mike. That's the story. Basically, you just heard my speech on Tuesday night. That's the story. I don't know if that same path can be done today. I don't know if that is possible. I don't know if people would go through all that based on the idea with podcasts. There's an easier way probably to go about doing it. But if you want to talk about God playing in the games and you want to talk about a situation where you need some intervention, at least in my life, where you need something to happen. And, you know, whether it was Larry Kahn, whether it was Irv Metter, he doesn't know that, but I didn't know Irv Metter, but he owned the company, the auto part place on Atlantic Boulevard in Jacksonville. And there are friends who put me up here. I had a buddy there, Craig Timmons, who worked for Barnett Bank. He gave me a place to live for six weeks. Jacksonville, Florida, a good friend of mine was Danny Sharkus. I had somebody to hang out with, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, or WKIS, I went to college there in, at Rollins. So, I mean, I was in good shape there. Khan is who I love to this day, and I don't see him much. Unbelievable what he did. You throw in uh, some other folks at, uh, at KIS, then you throw in Scalar, who, by the way, Scalar, after I was at MCA, I may have been at FAN at that time. Scalar took me out to breakfast once or lunch after I had been in New York. He says, Chris, I'm consulting a new station in D.C. I'd like you to go down there for me to do the sports talk in the afternoons. WTOP. I didn't go. Fascinating. So I would do the radio in Philly... Midnight, seven to midnight, let's say. And then I would take the 210 train home back to Penn Station, or yeah, uh, Penn, maybe even, yeah, Penn State, maybe Grand Central. And then I would turn around and I'd do the weekends at FAM. But if it's not for, you know, well, parents too. Parents too. You know, you're talking about an only child. Tony Russo doesn't know anything about, didn't know anything about talk radio. Molly Russo is not a sports fan, and their only kid is in Jacksonville, Florida, broke. If you don't have some help financially, you're dead. Dad, I need 100 bucks. All right, Chris, you got it. Dad, uh, I, can you give me the AMC Gremlin with 92,000 miles on it? You got it. No, he didn't want me to go. He wanted me to be a jewelry salesman, but he gave it to me. Came down to visit, made sure I had food. I lived in a one-bedroom, I lived in a one-room apartment with no cooking utensils, so I had to have... I had to have some food there. And I had to have, I didn't food, I needed money to go out to dinner every night. 
But that lesson alone in Jacksonville, knowing that I could get out of there, was successful. I remember in Jacksonville at that little first station, I did the show with the owner's son who loved, loved pro wrestling and was a Laker fan. Two phone lines. You can do a show with the owner's son. Obviously, you know, you have to acquiesce to the owner's son. On the air with two phone lines. And he wants to talk a little, you know, Ric Flair. And you in that situation, you know, 1983. If you can get through that. And you can get to that next step. You're in good shape. Here's the other thing I'll say before we take a break here with Zig. And I'm going way, way too long here, and I apologize. But Paul asked for it, so Paul got it. The other thing is, remember, I started my first time I was on the air was on a Saturday morning. And I'm going to guess it was around March 20th, 1983. Sometime in March of that month. Uh, sometime in March in that year. Okay? Jacksonville. Six and a half years later, not yet 30, six and a half, I was hosting with Mike on WFAM. Six and a half years. That's it. Not 10, not 20, six and a half. Before I was 30. FAM. I think the first contract I signed with WFAM was for $150,000. They gave me a three-year contract with bonuses. One fifty. So I made $120 a week at WEXI. I made at the end, I made $13,000 when I got to KIS. When I left KIS, I was probably making about $17,000. And then when I got to MCA, I was making $54,000. And then when I got to, that was in 88, that was in December of 88. And then seven months later, they gave me a contract for $150. May have been not guaranteed for three years. It may have been one year guarantees. They didn't know how I could do this. And I turned down. One job and two possibilities while in Orlando before they moved me to weekends. I got offered a job in Oklahoma City, flew up there for, you know, four or five days. This is in winter of 85. John Butler offered me $26,000 to do afternoon drive in Oklahoma City at a good station. I, put, I called Bob Costas for advice. I was 25 years old. I didn't take it. And when my original general manager, Mike Geyer, who since passed away, you heard Larry talk about him yesterday. When he got fired, I learned this. When he got fired from KIS, he sent my tapes because he wanted to hurt them. And he sent my tapes to sports stations around the country. The one guy who called me and said, if I had an opening and I probably should do it, I'll hire you right this minute to do 7 to midnight. And he didn't. And I would have taken this one. Was W-H-A-S in Louisville, Kentucky. Home of the Cardinal. There you have it. Got to be lucky, folks. Got to be lucky. Want more Chris Russo? Listen to Mad Dog Unleashed weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio. Sirius XM Channel 82.
Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.